we're thankful to have two guests with us today. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce, and I'm going to say it, okay? I'm going to go ahead and say it, Alex. I don't know if you've ever heard it from me. Dr. Alex mm-hmm. Sossler. Uh, right. Dr. Sossler was a pastor at Millwood Baptist Church for some years. There's a lot of good backstory between us and uh, and our friendship. Uh, he met his wife, and I met him at the same weekender in Washington, D.C., which is where I'm recording from today. I'm just right next door to Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, Dr. Sossler is assistant professor of Bible and ministry at Montreat College, has been there since 2018, and uh, has uh, written from there, been on panels from there, and uh, it's just a dear, trusted brother to us. The other guy with us is Pastor Chase Bowers of Temple Bible Church. Uh, Chase, you, I don't know if we, you would even remember this, Chase, but uh, I first met you at Mary Harden Baylor at yeah. Focus on Wednesday nights when yeah. they were they were looking for a new speaker. And let's just say expo- expository preaching wasn't championed uh, as much as it might be in your pulpit today. When I heard you preach on a Wednesday night, I thought, this is a man I want to know. And uh, so I went to say hi and have been friends ever since. Yeah. Uh, you have five children. Uh, Maddie and Nate are yours uh, by Laura. And you have three adopted children, one from Wanda and two from Temple. Is that right? Are they from Temple? Uh, I actually know from Austin. Yeah. From Austin. Oh, even better. Yeah. Uh, Suburb so- of Temple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a uh, little known fact, Maddie was the flower girl in my wedding uh, almost 15 yeah. years ago. Yep, and she is getting married in about a month and a half. I can't. Yeah. I, I just we we just need to move on. That's yes, I uh, that's agree. crazy. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for you guys joining us today. It's uh, it's a joy to have you as brothers uh, in the faith. Uh, to have conversations with you over the years about uh, difficult things, um, and uh, have have disagreements, have agreements. It's just a, it's a great joy. It means a lot. Uh, we need more of it in the world. We wanted to have you guys on as outside voices looking into the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Alex, you were on staff at our church uh, before you um, put the robe on and uh, went with the Anglican Church there. <laughs> and uh, Chase, I don't know, Chase, did you grow up in any Southern Baptist Church? Yeah. What, what's your relationship with the Southern Baptist Church yourself? Yeah, trusted Christ in a Southern Baptist Church served in. And several kind of through college on a part-time basis. My first, my first full-time job in vocational ministry was a student pastor at a, a Southern Baptist church. And then when I was traveling and speaking, I would say probably 80% of the churches I spoke to would, would have been Baptist. Yeah. What, what church did you come to Christ? Uh, first Baptist in Deweyville, Texas. First Baptist in, where's Deweyville? You don't know where Deweyville is? No. Can't say that I do. Yeah. Deweyville is near, it's near Beaumont, to right on the Texas-Louisiana border. Okay. All right. Yeah. And Alex, uh, like I said a minute ago, you were on the staff at our, our church. What was your experience with Southern Baptist churches before uh, before Millwood? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess I was introduced to Southern Baptist life through... Uh, I guess first like feet on the ground was in seminary. I went to Southern Baptist Seminary. I was a part of a, a large non-denominational multi-site church and they um, <clears throat> were going to pay for my MDiv because they didn't, they had like a master's of Christian religion or something like that, some kind of smaller degree through Trinity campus, but they encouraged me to get an MDiv. And so they kind of said, where do you want to go? And I had a mentor who um respected the faculty at Southern. And so that's kind of how I, I got my foot in the door, you could say, and uh, just kind of became more convinced of um, denominational life from non-denominational life, kind of found some solid voices there in the tradition, and um, eventually joined a, a smaller Southern Baptist church in Ohio. And when I finished seminary, then kind of was applying to jobs in um, in the Southern Baptist world. And which led me to led me to you in Austin, and and our bromance began. That's right. That's right. You you went back. You loved it so much. You went back to Southern for your day. I did round two. Yep. Man, uh, you uh-huh. really loved it. I was I was all in. <laughs> um. So Alex, I want to ask you first. You 
you came into the Southern Baptist. You didn't grow up in the Southern Baptist Church. You kind of came in. Uh, you've now moved uh, to serving at an Anglican church. Um, tell us, like, wh- what are your thoughts as you look kind of backwards now and from the outside in? What are your general thoughts about the Southern Baptist Convention? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I think some people, I guess, from when they, I guess, deconstruction's a big word now, uh, when they deconstruct their faith or move on from a tradition, they kind of trash where they've been. Mm-hmm. Um, like those, you know, idiots who believe that and did that. And, and I, um, I don't have that experience. And I don't want to, uh, sound that way. Like there's differences. I moved on and, and it is what it is. Um, but I really, uh, I didn't have any kind of, um, trauma, I guess, from my Southern Baptist experience. I enjoyed it. I, um, I was formed in it. Um, there was always, you know, dysfunctions like in any denomination. I think I, I uh, make that clear. Like I, I didn't leave the Southern Baptist tradition in search of a tradition that didn't have dysfunction. It's just I'm choosing a, I guess, a different dysfunction. Um, and would you so, would you say your decision was partly because when you got to Montreat, there really were no sound, healthy Baptist churches in driving distance, and so that uh, yeah. you started looking around. Yeah, I mean that's definitely what kind of. Um, I mean, there are some sympathies I had with the Anglican tradition, but right. we were kind of, we, they were meeting in the evening and we were kind of church shopping in the morning and there was just not a lot of good options. And right. so um, that kind of, I guess, got our foot in the door in the Anglican, in the Anglican world. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's how I would describe my, my time in the Southern Baptist tradition. There were some, there were some moments of unhealth. There was some, unease with some parts of the Southern Baptist world, but in terms of the people I knew face-to-face, I guess, there were a lot of um, good people and good church members and um, people who loved me and shaped me and taught me the Bible and taught me to value um, expositional preaching and um, and polity and things that I was looking for, people who discipled me really well. So, um, that, that was a large part of my experience, I guess, in the Southern Baptist world. Let's just say it this way. Millwood Baptist made you who you are. Can we say it's it like true. that? It's true. It's yeah. true. <laughs> we can say it like that. No, we, I, I, I miss you, brother. We benefited from your ministry in countless ways and, uh, and still benefit from your friendship, uh, and ministry, uh, personally. So praise God. Chase, what, what about yourself? Your, your general reflections yeah. on Southern Baptist churches in, in your experience and, or even today? Yeah, there there is probably pretty similar. I uh, I was starting a ministry, moved to Central Texas, and um, had been on staff at a Southern Baptist Church, and we were going to visit three churches in Temple and or in the Temple area, and those were First Baptist Belton, Taylor's Valley, which you've heard of, and Temple Bible Church. Church. Yeah, and my wife had spent time in college here at UMHP at First Baptist Belton and Temple Bible, and. And honestly, we 19 years ago this September, we visited here first. Wow. And uh, and there was a, a big missions map and a lot of talk about missions, which we were excited about. And um, and then uh, a really great uh, commitment to expository teaching um, that was really encouraging. We found community quickly. And about four weeks in, I asked uh, Gary DeSalva, who was the pastor here for 38 years, who's now gone to be with the Lord. Uh, what's different about this church than a Southern Baptist church? And he said, well, we don't give the Lottie Moon. (laughs) We we support our own missionaries. And he said, you know, most Southern Baptist churches will stand and embrace the authority of Scripture. Some some don't. And that time there was kind of a a schism going on. And, uh, And he said, and we do. And we unapologetically do. And so we landed here, but it, uh, but I didn't, I wasn't leaving the Southern Baptist world, but kind of like you, you say, Alex, uh, there was no particular reason, you know, as I traveled and spoke, there were, there were things that I would occasionally hear about unhealth and a, you know, a a particular seminary leader that, that people would say, why is this guy still leading? Right. And, um, but, but generally, uh, generally what I saw was when I was traveling and speaking is, pastors, youth pastors, just slugging away 
um, trying to share the gospel, trying to love the people in their community, um, trying to help people mature in Christ. And that's what we were doing here at, at Temple Bible. And so, you, you know, my story it ended up after being part of the body for six years. I came on staff as Global Outreach. And and now, you know, are there things I see in the Southern Baptist Convention that concern me? Yes. There, there are things in every denomination and in non-denominational churches that I see that concern me. Right. At the same time, most of the Southern Baptists I know are um, are really, really trying to stand arm in arm for the sake of the gospel. Um, yeah. But and so I'm not without concern. But at the same time, uh, I came to faith in the Southern Baptist Church. I learned how to study the Scripture in the Southern Baptist Church. I learned what it meant to pray, fast, give, make disciples in a Southern Baptist Church, and I'm I'm grateful for that time. Mm. Yeah, amen. One of the things I would just say just to encourage you and and anyone listening is you, you've been such an influence on me in regards to missions and, and what missions means and boldness in missions and, and emphasis in missions. Uh, you invited me to go with you to visit uh, some missionaries of that connected to your church in Aline, United Arab yeah. Emirates, uh, which led us to multiple relationships as a church uh, and, and, and kind of sideways and dovetailed into a relationship with the church that we have in Frigera, just up the coast from Aline. Yeah. Uh, and just watching you minister, watch how your church cares uh, for saints on the field. Great encouragement to me. I, I've, I've learned a lot from you and our, our church has done some things differently because of, uh, of that friendship that has nothing to do with the International Mission Board. Mm, and so I'm really grateful for that. Praise God. Um, well, brothers, you, you both have mentioned that, you know, there are things that uh, concern you, um, that we, you look outside into the Southern Baptist Convention and you kind of, you know, mm, uh, it kind of makes your, your gut turn a little bit. <laughs> what do you see from, from your perspective that you think would, if you were in a Southern Baptist Convention church, would be most concerning to you, Alex? We'll start with you. What 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 do you see? either in headlines or from the inside discussion that is uh, most concerning to you? Yeah. Um, I think I think the thing that came out of last week, I guess, that, that maybe is most concerning to me is um, – Ed Linton won, but Mike Stone had 47% of the vote. Is that right? Yeah, a lot. The first um, vote. Yeah. And I think I think this is – I've always known this, and I think this is how people describe it, is it's kind of a good old boys club versus kind of the young um, younger people who see things differently. Mm. Um, and I don't know how fair that kind of ca- uh, category, cat- categories are, but um, – and so I guess with that vote, it made me kind of made um, perhaps, you know, I think John Piper says, or maybe it's Mark Everly, you just kind of have to, have to outlive your critics, right? Just mm-hmm. be there longer. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the Southern Baptist just takes a generation to kind of turn over with even the executive committee. Kind of the, the big headlines that I think you guys talked about last week that um, are in the news, right? Kind of the abuse stuff, the cover-up stuff, the protect the base language. Um, maybe that's the generational term. But it made me think, maybe not. Um, like, I don't know if the Southern Baptist, I don't know if the Southern Baptist Convention is 50% old and 50% young. Um, and it'll just keep turning. Or maybe there's some deeper issues that are, are not resolved um, and that aren't just an age thing. Um, And so I think that's some of it. I think the other thing um, in regards to whether it's women in ministry or CRT or or those type of things is just a, um, a play to the, I guess that, that same thing, like a play to the constituency of like we have this language that um, 
you know, uh, there's a guy named Greg Thornberry who wrote this article on David Dark's blog. And I, it, those guys are both are probably way more left-leaning than I am. But there's this term that he that he describes. strange in because Greg Thornberry wrote the book about uh, classic evangelicalism. Correct, correct. Years yeah. ago, but I digress. Um, Go ahead. And, and, yeah, and he's kind of become a big credit of, of these things. But um, there's this wrestling term, term called KFAB. So um, in wrestling, there's kind of the way things are supposed to go, right? It's not real. Um, somebody's going to win at the end, but it's already scripted. Yeah. And a kayfabe is when you flip the script, like the guy who's supposed to lose doesn't lose. And so yeah. it kind of becomes an actual fight. And I think in some ways, the Southern Baptist Convention can be that. I think some leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention can be that of like, you you don't speak out against the way things are. And if you do, then you'll be punished. I think that's true with Russell Moore. And I think yeah. that, that, that aspect of it is concerning of like, we know what to say, we know what to do. And if you don't agree with this, you're out. So that, uh, do you think that kind of could be the lingering effect of winning the conservative resurgence and kind of, this is kind of our, our puppy that we, we raised. Yeah. And I think that conservative resurgence was um, in some ways, let's meet, let's win by whatever means necessary. And I think some of those, whatever means necessary, are coming back to kind of bite the SBC in the butt with like Paige Patterson, or I don't know if I can right. say that. With what well, he's he's public, he's out, right? Um, you can like say it. There's yeah, no, your mind, there's no censorship here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used him. What are they going to do? Was, cancel us? We're not. I mean, we, this is not a pillow fight, man. Okay, <laughs> come on. Tell me, tell me something true here, okay? Yeah. We like, can. We're, we're just going to blame it on you. So it's yeah, not. That's, like, that, that's, that's why yeah. you're here. You're you're here to say the things we can't say, Alex. That's okay, right, so right. don't hold back. Well, yeah, perfect. We used him because he was on our side on this issue. And like, I think even, you know, some other leaders that are still leaders are like, um, we use kind of dirty tactics. We use political moves and maneuvers because we thought this was the better cause rather than fighting with grace and truthfulness. There seem to be kind of these underpinning political movements, which I think you can still see at play in kind of how SBC life functions. Yeah. And some, so I think those there was maybe a more long-winded well, answer. Let me, let me ask you this question: We so you you said you listened last week. One of the things we mentioned was the executive committee did not want uh, a third-party investigation, which they could not control. That seemed to mm -hmm. be the narrative. The messengers came back and said, uh, "Actually, that's not the way it works. We tell you mm -hmm. what to do. We will oversee the investigation." Did you did you find that encouraging? From, from your perspective as, you know what, maybe maybe there's someone here that will tell tell them no, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that was an encouraging outcome move. Yeah. I think the thing that I just um, I wonder maybe a, about congregational polity in those ways is like how many of those have happened that we didn't know about hmm. that they just tabled and said it like they get to decide what to discuss. And so, Absolutely. yes, you can have these people and like would, would have that have been such an issue if Russell Moore's letters weren't leaked, those type of things that, um, there was a reason I think it got so much support because of the previous few weeks. Um, but how long has that been covered yeah. up, right? How many of these abuse, these women who are victims of these things have been telling us for so long and yeah, it finally got its day, but, you know, did yeah. it need to take this long? Yeah, and it's a tough question because the convention only exists for two days a year. So right. we can talk on Twitter all we want, mm -hmm. but we only get to vote for, for, for like 20 minutes of a two-day period. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so we have all the power for 20 minutes of right. discussion and motions and voting. Um yeah, I, I think that's helpful because that it that that does sound like Michael. You tell me what you think, but that does sound like what we've experienced from the inside too. That that was definitely the conversation in the room. It felt like as the vote on sexual abuse investigation was going on, it it wasn't only about sexual abuse. It was about who runs this convention and where where's the seat of power and who tells who what to do and who trusts who right now. 
Yeah, it's weird because, uh, you know, with the conservative resurgence, there's it's sort of a double-edged sword. You've got Paige Patterson, who obviously played such a huge role in the conservative resurgence, but in order to play the kind of role that he played in the conservative resurgence, he has to maybe be a certain kind of person. And then, you know, gathering so much acclaim and all that kind of stuff, I guess, probably not national acclaim, but acclaim within the Southern Baptist Convention following the conservative resurgence seems to sort of breed, um, I don't know if I could say, you know, I don't really know Paige Patterson, but, you know, an egotism, you know, a, a bit of, you know, that kind of persona sort of precedes himself, you know, as he goes places and things. And, and it, it sort of kind of makes this sort of culture around him where he's untouchable. And I don't, you know, it doesn't seem like in any pastoral circles, professorial circles or presidents of seminary that, that being untouchable is a great place to be, you know? And, um, and so all of the things that came out, you know, following that recordings and all those kinds of things that, uh, of a, abuse and counseling and all those kinds of things that, that came out of, out of his mouth, um, you know, how much of that is due to being in sort of an elevated position of authority and having such a claim coming from the conservative resurgence and that kind of meeting with a persona that um, was part of what, you know, kind of played into the conservative resurgence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which you is, know, I think, why Mike Stone got, partly why Mike Stone got so many votes. There was the concern that Al Mohler has been here too long, has too much power, and we, we don't want to centralize that. Ed Litton got painted as the moderate moving toward liberal. And uh, no one knows who Randy Adams is, and so there's Mike Stone. So he's kind of where I think a lot of people may have felt they're the only place their vote could go, um, for you know right or wrong. The conservative surgeons, by the way, is the move away from uh, liberal theology and uh, the disbelief, the rejection of the inerrancy of Scripture coming out of the 70s into the 90s, uh, which was largely led by uh, Al Mohler when he became president of Southern. And as you said, Paige Patterson. Um, so I, I think that's helpful. That the, the thing that that helps me with Alex and and Michael is that we're we're kind of seeing things the same. Uh, you're probably closer to the Southern Baptist Convention than other voices who are outside, uh, even just through our conversations. If not the fact that you follow the news, but that that helps. I think you see the same thing. You 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 see that history and you see the struggle that's there. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the um, like even when I was at Southern, there's a guy who's around the conservative resurgence. He was at Southern at the time, kind of when the Great Purge was happening, and he always he said that the goal was always to kind of have the the pin in the middle that the horses can kind of walk around. Um, and there's kind of some graciousness that happens around this pin in the middle. Um, but what has happened is that kind of the, the horses are all tied around just looking at the middle and that there, there isn't a lot of dissident voice and there's not allowed to be dissident voices like personal confession time. But yeah. like I wrote an article in seminary in my doctoral work that I just, I had a footnote that said, this is going to slightly differ from Al Mohler's thoughts on leadership. And we went around class and the professor kind of pushed back on articles in different ways. And the one thing that he spent probably 15 minutes on was my disagreement with Al Mohler because you can't speak against Al Mohler at Southern. Um, and Did he it say was that just, explicitly or was that kind he, of the air in the room? That was the air in the room, yeah. Okay. It was – It was, and it was actually the first article I ever got published it's in the journal. not that you didn't journal. perceive correctly. But. No, I, yeah, I think people came up to me afterwards and I was like, what was that about? And it was just that very air of like you don't, you don't step out of line. You yeah. go with where the leaders go. Yeah. Um, that loyalty, which is very, very good loyalty, but I think that's a concern of what happens when loyalty needs to, when another virtue, when courage needs to go above loyalty, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Chase, what, what about you, man? What, what concerns you the most from kind of an outside perspective? Yeah, let, well, let me say two things I, I appreciate. Um First, if I can, one is just yeah. your your kind of explanation of the four candidates because I I, I know of Al Mohler because he's president of seminary Al Mohler um, and I and I know Ed Litton because I have a friend who ministers in Mobile and his his in laws go to Ed Litton's church 
and uh, he's just spoken so well of him. And what little I've heard of him or seen on the news even since the convention, I feel like he's spoken the gospel with clarity, and he's spoken about cultural issues with appropriate nuance. And so I've I've been really encouraged. I've been really impressed. Um, I, I feel kind of a little bit like an oddball because I'm I'm on social media, but I I hadn't heard of Mike Stone before a couple of weeks before the convention, and then the other gentleman you you mentioned. Um, I, I wasn't aware of. And so I appreciate your description of kind of how the, the vote probably went down because I, I just didn't know. Um, and then Ed, Ed, Ed Litton, uh, just uh, encouragement. It seems like a, a good man for the moment. Um, my, my concerns would uh, would echo Alex's. The, the idea of abuse and why we would, we would need to hide that. Um, the, it, it just... Whether, whether it is or not, it reeks of grabbing for power. And, and when there is an awful moment and people in authority are silent about that or try to keep silence, it has a look of guilt. That's not to say there is guilt, but it looks bad. It, it's, it, is, uh, it looks like you have something to hide, whether you do or not. And so I'm, I'm not saying any of these people have something to hide because I, I'm not familiar with the particular cases. Yeah, but to, it, but to, be, it, to be clear, um, you know, there there is I don't think there's any accusation just for just to be clear. No accusation for any of those anyone people, on the executive committee right. is hiding illegally any abuse personally in their churches or their lives. Sure. Right. It's a matter of what do we do with all of these uh experiences that people are sharing part of yes. the YouTube movement, the coming public yeah. of what has happened in in churches and the testimonies being right. not just that I was abused, but that my abuse right. was covered up, mishandled uh, in, a, in in terrible ways. Well, right, and and so here's what's so confusing about that: the Southern Baptist Convention. I would say there are three things that that positively come to mind about the Southern Baptist Convention, and one is is an an overwhelming confidence in the authority of Scripture. This is a a, a document we can trust, right? This love for missions and evangelism, and and then this this belief that Jesus rose from the dead. So if if Jesus rose from the dead, right, which which we all believe in bodily resurrection, we we affirm that, right, because we're what people call Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, if Jesus rose from the dead, then I've got I've got nothing to hide because of the worst about me or anybody I know has, has been redeemed. And I can mm-hmm. trust that God is, is not just a, a God of redemption. He's also a God of truth, a God of justice and a God of mercy. So I don't have to be afraid. And, and so there's this look of, I'm afraid of something. So that, that would be one thing that concerns me, but, but I, that concern was alleviated when the convention overwhelmingly said, no, we want the truth is our friend. That's what Southern Baptists would say, right? That, that's what I would hope. So that, uh, that is, is positive. And then another concern, um, and this deals with some of those folks in that camp, but then folks in, in really uh, either kind of extreme area, is just the tone, the tone in which we speak about brothers and sisters, um, the the Lord's bond servant must be gentle, and and I have been so guilty of not being gentle, of of being harsh with my words. I had to apologize yeah. so many times. I'm sure I'll continue to do that, but that that's one of those things that that when we are not loving one another, um, it, it doesn't look like we're Christ's disciples. Right. Yeah. And so there, there's there are these moments where people say things up to and about one another on social media or make accusations with all kinds of logical fallacies. Well, if you said this, you must believe this. Do we, do we want to do that to our brothers? Do we want to speak that way to to one another? And I, I really hope we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Stewart. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that's telling, too, because in, in the room, there were definitely pin drop moments at the convention uh, when it was, oh no, what's what's he going to say now? There was definitely some heated uh, testimonies from the microphone, some frustration, but most of the time it was in good spirits. I would say, Michael, would you agree? Most of the time, even disagreements 
even some snarkiness here and there, um, but not not way far beyond uh, charity and Christ-likeness. Would you agree? Yeah, I think for the most part, people towards one another were yeah. really pretty kind. I think as usual, there's always um, a kind of a tendency to to have an inherent distrust of anyone who is in a, th- a position of authority. Mm-hmm. And there, sometimes you would pick up some of that snarkiness, I think, yeah. uh, as it's directed towards entity heads, presidents of mm-hmm. seminaries, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think there, there's probably always going to be some of that to, to one degree or another. But I think overall, the the communication between two messengers, let's say, or back and forth about a particular motion or resolution um, was overall really pretty, pretty kind. Um, yeah, which I, I think is I was encouraged by that actually in the convention. I, I, actually, me as well. Uh, it was actually an encouraging point, which brings up a point, Chase, that you mentioned that things are different on Twitter. Oh, I man. mean, it has been a dumpster fire to be kind going yeah. into the convention. Um, unchristlike, yeah. uh, w- without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, cheap shots. Uh, and I think that's that's what that that set the tone going to the convention. But there, there's a meme going around. I don't know if you guys have seen this with two dogs barking at each other yeah. through the fence, really loud, growling, wanting to fight. And then the fence or the, the gate kind of slides, and now the two dogs are facing each other, and they stop and they look at each other like, "Oh no, we we don't actually want to fight. We just wanted right. to bark across the fence." And that's what it felt like uh, for for some not not for everyone. Some some people came with their fangs out at the convention. Uh, sure. But generally, that kind of online air really stirred things up in the convention. And I, and I think it's been my experience the last several years is starting around March, uh, online heats up, uh, the, the, the wagons start circling, the torches get lit. And then we get to the convention and we're all in the same room. We have to actually deal with each other. And, and a lot of that kind of dissipates. Yeah. Yeah, and I right. I'm I'm sure there are some of those folks. Like I, I saw a, a gentleman who would get up to ask questions at a microphone and he was mic'd himself as well. So Yeah, because there's like, a second documentary that needs to be released this next yeah, year. Yeah, well yeah, he well they're right. There there might be some gotcha moments people are looking for. I, I don't sure. I don't understand exactly why you would do that. But right, I, I think uh and and your listeners probably know this. But uh, I was going to ask, was that a white claw? But you're you're Southern Baptist, so I'm not, not going to. Can I can I say that? It's, energy, it's a highball energy drink. Come it's on, man. Joke. Come on. We've got to edit joke. that one out. Just oh. just in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're you're welcome for that. Uh, so uh, a couple a couple of things is that that what gets played both in social media and actual media is that you know. Cable news companies are beholden to shareholders, and and nuance doesn't make money. And then we have this illusion of, well, what's on Twitter is what the world thinks. What a Baptist says on Twitter is what Baptists think. And I, I think some something like seven percent of America's on Twitter, and fifty-two percent of of Twitter users haven't used their account in the last four months. So you've got this really, really small sampling. And and sometimes it's people who are there for really goodwill, and other times it's people who are there that think, if I don't say what I have to say in this moment, the kingdom of God globally will fall apart, uh, which is usually just not the case, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you have your people that, yes, if if they die tomorrow, there will be a, a, a missed person on, on Twitter. But if, but if I died tomorrow nobody nobody would miss that i'm right. I, I don't have a voice that speaks to all of culture and that i'm, I'm really okay right. with that uh, yeah. i've got plenty to do right here in temple texas yeah and i would say and, and i don't say this jokingly i i, I think it, it could be quite literal if there were maybe 20 twitter accounts that disappeared between now and next <laughs> convention it could be a lot quieter going into the convention and out and, and seriously I, I think you make the point that there are some some very loud, angry few voices that draw a lot of people to them, which maybe is concerning because they they have an audience and they got a lot yeah. of votes for a president. And it wasn't it wasn't just uh, a couple of people; it became 
a, a little bit of a movement into the convention. Yeah, I, I would drop serious cash to be able to take 10 from each side if I could be honest about that. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I asked yeah. what concerned I, you guys, you guys both mentioned the sexual abuse thing. And that's been going on. The, the Houston Chronicle reporter was there again for the convention, saw him several times. And he was in the executive preliminary on Monday uh, uh, watching uh, very acutely. Um, you guys didn't mention critical race theory. But that's a that was a big, a big, you know, Twitter storm coming in. So I've got sirens here. I, I hope they're not coming for me. That that's a big Twitter storm issue, and it was a big actual issue because of a 2019 resolution that we, uh, that we made as a convention where we referred to critical race theory as a, as an analytical tool, and, and uh, no more, no less. And at the time, we had no idea what critical race theory was, uh, not a clue as a convention. I didn't myself. Uh, I barely do now. Um, is that something, what does that look like from, from the outside for you guys? That was a big deal for us at the convention. Alex, what do you think? Um, yeah, it was interesting listening to your guys' conversation last week. Um, how it is, I guess, such an issue for you guys even now of like I I don't think the resolution what is a nine, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. I I I think if you look at it as an analytical tool, that's not an absoluting absolutizing worldview. It's like, isn't that everything? Like, can't we learn something from mm -hmm. everything? Like, you could you know postmodernism. I can learn something from postmodernism that that in some sense I want my truth to be true and. Um, in that I don't have objective truth. That's something postmodernism taught me. I can learn something from feminists that um, that the female desire to care is maybe an important point as well as the male perspective to be right all the time. Like whatever it is, like everything has something to teach us and, and, and we can learn from. And so as an analytical tool, I thought that's fine. I mean, I think you had the right language in there. And I mm -hmm. think it's just, CRT is just another kind of um, boogeyman word like postmodern mm -hmm. of like, oh, there's CRT, you know, I, I, I am, you know, woke or whatever it is. It's just like, who, you know, how many people in the Southern Baptist Convention have read a critical race theorist? Mm -hmm. Maybe three. So, so yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, to even make and, it, and one of them's Al Mohler. So, that's right, yeah. And yeah. to even make the other it, two are on Twitter. <laughs> to even make a statement on it is like, well, what, like, why? It's just kind of this idea of like, well, that's what those liberals like, so let's not like it. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think that's the thing about resolutions that you guys kind of went back and forth on of like, you know, what what is a resolution really when you're voting on something that people have already decided on and you're just kind of asked to give your credence to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not concerned about CRT because nobody knows what it is. And the statement on it, I thought was fine. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, it was kind of, a, there was, the committee didn't bring out the specific CRT resolution that 1400 messengers signed uh, and sent to the committee. Um, there were, Twelve or 1,300 resolutions sent to the committee. Um, 450 or so of them were all from three cities where Brad Jerkovich, Mike Stone, and Tom Buck all pastor. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence, but it could be. Um, <laughs> so there was, a, there was a big request. It was very clear there were requests. From that, that specific CRT resolution didn't come out to the floor for a vote. And so uh, Tom Askell and others came out and said, we want that on the floor. And uh, it, it, it was a big deal. So, um, yeah, that, that, th th there is some, some nuance to that. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that if it would have come to the floor, and I almost think that it should have for clarity's sake, um, but the, the, the resolution that we did pass on worldly ideologies that are opposed to the gospel and co opposed to God's word, it, it did what it needed to do, um, but it certainly didn't scratch the itch for some who wanted to 
uh, be more clear about CRT. Um, Chase, what was your perspective watching from the outside CRT yeah. and the SBC? It, it was quite interesting, and I, I listened to Litton on CNN kind of explain nuance uh, yeah. of that. And I, I think there's a guy named Herschel York, I believe he's Southern Baptist, or was yeah. was speaking about the convention, uh-huh. and he just said, you know, I think Southern Baptists generally don't like CRT, but Southern Baptists believe uh, racism exists, and and we should be a people who are for reconciliation, and that reconciliation comes in and through the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought, yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty well said. Sure, are there are there concerns with critical theory, uh, of which uh, CRT is a subset? Yeah, a- absolutely. And I, I think the way it was explained, do do we teach this? Yeah, we teach it, but we don't teach it in support of it. We teach it so we can understand what it is, and so yeah. Danny uh, Aiken said that in that way probably yeah. like three or four times different yeah, places. Yeah, I've heard several people say that, and I, I thought that was really helpful. And I think it is. It's peculiar to me, uh, Alex, as well, this idea that I can't learn from people with whom I have some other disagreements. And the, the way that I talk, you know, we'll, we'll have people ask, well, this person wrote this song, why would you sing it? Or, you know, you, the, this Sunday I'll quote Bertrand Russell. Uh, why, why would you quote him? He's an atheist. And, and, uh, and so... It's this idea that we can't learn from people we have disagreements with. And I usually just ask, uh, have, have you ever learned anything from Tim Keller? <laughs> and and usually, usually the answer is yes. And I just say, well, why would you do that? He baptizes babies, right? <laughs> we, we disagree <laughs> on this really big issue. Amen. We are not going to have that discussion right. no, on this no, no, episode. No, no, no. Okay, right, right. Let's, let's just keep going. That's another, another day. But but also this, edited I, this, yeah, this idea that um, there are all kinds of people. It, it, I mean, if you can't learn from people you disagree with, you'll have a really small pool of learning and you probably won't learn very much. And so I think uh, being gracious toward others, considering the nuance, right? How many people are, are speaking about this that have never read an article on CRT, or they've never read source documents. They've read what one person said. Well, if this person said it's wrong, it must be wrong. And and hear me, I'm um, I, there. There, I have big issues with it. Right? Can it be a tool to explain some things? Sure, but its roots are dangerous. But I have, I've heard people allude to things like having a problem with with slavery. Well, I mean, some of that was rooted in CRT. No, it wasn't. CRT didn't exist then. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, there's just some odd, odd takes on this. And so there is this moment, this, I'll tell you, this does bother me where I hear some people, anytime you speak against racism or anytime you speak for reconciliation, well, is that rooted in CRT? No, it's rooted in Galatians 2. It's rooted in Ephesians 3. It's it's rooted in this work that Jesus came to do to bring us to God and bring us together, right? That, That has nothing to do with CRT. So that, that's a concern. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I appreciate you, Alex, is you have, for many years as a as a friend, been helpful to bring nuance to my theology. And I don't know that we've always agreed on everything, and but been a helpful pushback uh, to me and our elders. And I just appreciate that so much. Helped me be a, a better thinker, and. And so I, I think there's room for um, in in the SBC for kind of what you said in regards to you know we can learn something from this. I think the cultural moment in the SBC, both the younger and the older generations that we might refer to, um, I think they definitely would have said we we want to say clearly that we reject this as a as, as an acceptable ideology. Uh, about how to handle race. I don't know that anyone's actually trying to employ it, however. We only needed to say it because of the conversation. Yeah. Um, the presidents all came out to say we reject it. Uh, I could find one article. I think it was Jamar Tisby. Maybe it was someone else written uh, on the Southern website about critical race theory that spoke of it in, in the terms you mentioned, Alex, of, you know, if we listen to how people use this, we might learn something on the race conversation. I'm not going to use it. 
I don't, I don't think it has the answers about sin. I don't think it talks about the cross. I don't think it talks about uh, gospel unities and God's heart for the nations. But maybe we could we could learn something from it. Um, but I, I think the cultural moment, um, it, or for lack of a better term, uh, it might have been good to denounce it. But at the same time, I'm like, who? What use of it are we denouncing? <laughs> it's not, it's not really being employed that that I know of. And if it is, I'd love to know. But I just I just don't think so. Um, and and, I, and I, I'm thankful for your perspective that it, it might in some ways um, we we might need to own what is the accusation that um, we are single minded and we don't we don't really have an ear for outside voices often. Um, in, in terms of having a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and isn't, isn't CRT kind of uh, the way uh, uh, the pastor where I grew up in, in Deweyville would describe it? It's for, for most Southern Baptists, it's kind of like a shovel sin. It's, it's not something you're actually struggling with, but you can shovel it on someone else. You can heap it on them. When, when there's plenty, we're probably struggling with enemy. at home in our house yeah. that, hey, let, let's talk about what we're actually struggling with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's that idea of kayfabe of like. It's Which just can I fake. say real quick? This might yeah. shock you. Yeah, I read that article. Well, you did after you posted yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't I didn't go everywhere he went. Right, but I get it. Right. Yeah, I understand I mean, what kayfabe is now. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> yeah, there we go. it's just kind of this you know fake word that we threw out there of like yeah like totally CRT you know totally postmodern. That's like, well you know it's it. It's just getting, you know, I think even Moeller's language of it poisons everything that touches is just like a, to who, who does it, you know, like, how are you, there's no ideology that I can learn about and it just poisons me. There's a discernment that has to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I'm just like, well, you know, where I'm, I guess I'm more soft and you know, liberal to CBN. (laughs) No, I mean, when, when you think about Piper and Sproul and, and where they got their PhDs, I mean, I think was, was Piper was at the university of Munich and Sproul was free in Amsterdam. These are some of the most liberal universities in the world. And these two really bright men who have contended for the faith, went and learned from people with whom they have significant disagreements. And they, they mm-hmm. seem to have done okay with embracing the authority of scripture and declaring Jesus risen from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. I think it, it does there. If we're actually going to employ CRT, we actually ought to reject it. Um, but there, there definitely has been a creation of uh, an enemy so that we can destroy him, so to speak. What do you guys think would be the most uh chase you first the most the most important thing that from the outside you think if i could change this uh and kind of redirect the ship that you you would wish for in the southern baptist convention yeah uh um, alex be prepared to be really nice when it's your turn okay i uh <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I, I don't have to be nice though, right? Yeah, no, not you, Chase. You, 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 you just be no. you, man. I mean, I, I think, I think the overall thing would be that we would that that you would love one another so. hmm. and love one another deeply from full heart, a laying down of your lives. But I, I think, I don't. I mean that very practically. I mean people with whom you disagree, but also, if I had one critique of of the Southern Baptist Convention before all of this. And you and I have probably talked about this, but I, in the Southern Baptist Church I was in, I didn't know any missionaries. Um, it, if they came, they came on Sunday night. And um, and this is embarrassing. I was a missions pastor, but originally I thought, well, they're missionaries because they, they can't preach here, which is this horrible thought. We're seeing these amazing people. Delete that, please. We're seeing these amazing people to the front lines, the unreached, the hardest fields in the world, and they're just uh, beautiful gospel works, but I didn't know any missionaries. And so within the cooperative program and within us loving one another, this has nothing to do with this convention, but I believe 
And I think there is work toward this being done in a lot of churches. I think Southern Baptists need to personally know and some churches need to take greater responsibility for particular missionary families to, to love them well so that when uh, Southern Baptist friends I have that are moving to the Middle East are moving, and, and they probably do, but some might not have a church that says, hey, we're responsible for this for you. Yeah. Um, I th- so I think from from the Twitterverse to, um, to the missions world to everywhere in between, pastors in the same town, not competing against one another, but loving one another, serving one another, giving one another preference. Um, mm-hmm. that, that would be the thing for me. I know it's really basic, but that's what comes to mind. That, that's helpful. And that's encouraging because I think, uh, and, and maybe COVID and having to skip a year, a, a convention last year helped with this. But when we got together in the room, there was like a, man, it's a family reunion. We were just so right, glad yeah. to see. I'm seeing people that I hadn't seen yeah. in two years, seeing people from other yeah. states, seeing people, and uh, we could sing, and sometimes we could hear each other sing, and it was nice, and it, it was just a, it was a good time. But I, yeah. the point you bring up about missions is a sharp one. Um, I tried to get our church more connected with an IMB missionary a few years ago, and let's just say we're still not connected with an IMB missionary after making phone calls to, to do so. No shots at anyone, not not trying to degrade oh, anyone, course. but that there is kind of this big machine that sends me. And I get excited yeah, every time God. we send out missionaries at the SBC. Right. And I think I will never hear about those people again <laughs> until next well, year. No, no but you, there are examples like Summit Church. You kept hearing yeah. These people being sent from Summit, these people being sent from Summit, these yeah. people. So I think they probably are doing that. They they have yes. connection, but but could more churches have personal yeah. connection and love? Yeah. And we're we're praying. We've been praying for years that we would send our first missionary and we'd love to do it with the IMB yeah. if we could. Yeah. You know, Amen. and in regards to love for one another, um I, I think one of the things I'm gonna miss the most about the convention in the years going forward is having J D be the chair. Mm. I mean, guys. It, it's gold. It's just, it's yeah. better than anything you could watch on Netflix, watching him chair the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of the things I was thankful also, for is JD is, you know, comedy hour everywhere he goes, but he gets serious about missions. And there were several times at the convention when there was booing uh, for a decision from the chair or for something spoken to microphone. And JD went from, uh, you know, from funny guy who, you know, admits he has no idea how to run a Roberts, a Roberts rules order meeting to no, we don't do that. No, we don't boo. That's not how we do this. You have something to say, you go get in line at the microphone. And he's very sharp, uh, very pointed, I would say. Um, and, and I was thank that we, it was a pastoral moment to the convention and it was so helpful for him to say, no, that's not how we handle things. Mm-hmm. Nathan, too, um, so, what I think is interesting too is, yeah. is as Chase is pointing out, like being really concerned with missions, serving one another. Um, JD Greer is one who has been a target of a lot of criticism within the SBC. Uh, the target from a lot of people that are also there with the stop CRT stickers on their shoulders and the stop CRT stickers on their ballots. But when you actually look at what Summit Church does, in terms of sending out missionaries, training and equipping people to send them out mm-hmm. and to to either plant churches or to go overseas and share the gospel. How, how frequently, I mean, shouldn't a pastor be known by his work and by his, his church to some degree and, and what they do, what he's led them to do. And so it's particularly ironic that as we kind of look at this, um, this sort of boogeyman of CRT that's been put up there and been, you know, attacked by so many. And like uh, I think Alex pointed out of 40, some 8% uh, that voted for Mike Stone, a large part of that was a stop CRT movement, you know, and, and stop the leftward drift. JD Greer is probably one of the top in the leadership of the SBC that has been targeted for that. And yet, here is his church sending out more missionaries, doing more, um, you know, for the kingdom than than probably anybody who is actually attacking him. You know, so it it, it does kind of sort of I, I guess heighten the point that's being made there, which you is know? which we would never say. Hey, as long as you're sending out missionaries, we don't care what your theology is. That's not what right. you're saying. I know, but it, right. it just shows there's a culture of find the worst thing we can say about someone 
and make that the only thing we think about them and the only thing we talk about. Yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's been a a segment of people who have said of Piper for years, your, your theology doesn't lead to evangelism. Your theology doesn't lead to missions. And there's probably been no greater voice that launches people, mobilizes people to, the unreached in our generation than John Piper, Piper wrote the book on missions. He really for did. the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Or 20, whatever. Alex, um, if you could get to the stern, steer the ship of the SBC, which way would you steer it? I'm, I'm really guessing, nervous about your age. Yeah, I'm guessing you don't <laughs> no, mean like. I'm kidding. <laughs> install bishops and baptize babies and do the sacrament every week i'm guessing those things are something about robes i've been waiting for a robes joke the whole yeah, time yeah. but yeah go ahead wear more dresses yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah i think i don't think i could improve on chase's um answer to 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 love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbors yourself that you that they would exercise charity and i think the I think one of the movements, at least away from uh, SBC life for me, was SBC is very um, get your, and I think maybe it's just Reformed Baptist, get your theological ducks in a row. And if you get your theological ducks in a row, then you're sanctified. So I could have, yeah, then I could have, I, you know, I read my systematic theologies, I read my books, and now I'm spiritually mature because I know more. Meanwhile, you know, the Don Courtney's and, um, you know, the, 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 the John Hurley's and the Steve Civils of our, of our church at Millwood are, you know, yeah, I could talk about more theology than they could, but could, am I a more faithful husband, a more faithful Christian, somebody who exercises charity and love and joy? Um, no. And I, and I think that's, that's the thing that I think um, of liturgical theology, I guess, in the Anglican world of like, you'd, it's not about getting all your answers right. It's not about crossing all your theological T's and, and that, that there's some mystery in knowing God. But here's what here's the posture that we take for one another in the world is one of charity. It's one of the spiritual gift of love, which is first Corinthians 13 patient, Mm -hmm. kind, uh, does not envy, does not boast, rejects the evil, but, but, um, but wants the good, believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things. That's the kind of people that I think we ought to be. And I think, um, it's easy, I think, to say, well, if you go to a, uh, an average Southern Baptist church, you're going to find the Maryland Palmers and, um, you know, in, in the people we know, right? You're going to find these sweet saints who are just wanting to be faithful. Mm-hmm. But you also have to reckon with in the SBC, yeah, but your leadership are kind of jerks. And so, they're, they're in many ways, they're steering the ship. And so you can't just say, well, just go to local Baptist church and they don't know any of these arguments. That's true. You know, that's a good thing, but you need to reckon with the dysfunction that is also there as well. Yeah. And that that's so helpful and encouraging because um, I think it nails kind of where we are at a crossroads of identity and the convention. We fought and we won the conservative resurgence. And the theological resurgence, which turned into the uh, theological beast that is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the convention, needed to happen. It did happen. I think it's really good that it happened. But now we're going to start have to start answering questions. And, and unfortunately, we're going to start asking questions and answering them through debates like CRT and other things these days. What's next? Uh, we, we obviously need to hold the theological line on inerrancy um, and uh, the, the, the centrality of the gospel. But what kind of people will we be? Uh, how will we hold those truths dear to us for the next uh, two, three decades? That, that's a big question. Last question for you guys. Um, there's, there's, there's been a lot of headlines uh, more than I remember in recent years about the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, you guys both know from being in Southern Baptist churches that we we don't just talk about the Southern Baptist Convention every week. 
Uh, we, we pray for them uh, from time to time at Millwood Baptist uh, on Sunday mornings. Be really easy right now uh, to be really embarrassed to be a Southern Baptist uh, because of headlines and, and feel like, hey, you know, going to work, the last thing I would want someone to know is that I'm part of a Southern Baptist church. Um, you know, I've even wondered myself over the years, is, is, is Baptist uh, a hindrance when I say that out loud to a non-believer um, or, or even a Christian looking for a church in Austin uh, in, in my context? What would you guys say to someone who might be struggling going, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Uh, we're, we're in every news source you can imagine in, in the States. It's ugly. Um, I, I don't like it. I don't even want to own it. What, what would you guys say? Chase, you first. So perhaps there's some things to be embarrassed by, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, there's another category of people that would probably fall into Spurgeon's line of let the dogs bark, preach Christ, and him crucified. Mm. Um, and, and that's a fine line. you got to be careful and handle that with, with humility. But I, I think... Um, Two things come to mind, and one is is Ray Ortland's little green nine marks book uh, called The Gospel, that gospel doctrine should lead to gospel culture. Um, and so, so if I'm embarrassed by how a certain person is, don't be that sort of person. The the story of the Good Samaritan comes to mind. Go go and do likewise, and and the overflow of joy in God. If I'm loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, that, that, that should lead to me being the sort of people or the sort of person that carries out uh, the rule and reign of Jesus in my life, that I am full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so when we collectively, when people see my community, they'd be surprised to hear that that's what the media talks about when they, when they say Southern Baptist, that that they would see our community and go, Oh man, I want to be part of that. Those people love each other. They forgive each other. They serve one another. They care for one another. My, my, uh, my wife was, was telling me, and this would be true in, in many Southern Baptist churches as well, but we had a lady go through a horrible tragedy. Her, um, her husband was killed last year and she's not, in a church and and laura's just telling me about all these different ways that i was unaware of many of them that our church has just surrounded her in love as we've spoken the truth about jesus and so i think you you can't go backwards obviously and um and jesus is so kind and so forgiving and so generous with us and so we ought to be the sort of people who look differently and live differently. And when there's something wrong, like someone uh, who is in our church that is probably close to the discipline process said to me the other day, well, TBC's done this and this and this and this wrong. And, and I said, yeah, you're right. We haven't always handled this well. I think if you're embarrassed, go, yeah, this was awful. We shouldn't have done this. We are not perfect people, but let me tell you about our Savior. That's just kind of off the cuff what comes to mind. Yeah, that's really good. Alex, any thoughts for me, brother? Yeah, I guess a hard one. Um, I don't want to just kind of say, well, you know, that's just other people. I think there needs to be a reckoning. And one of the things that, like, even in my context as a college professor, like our kind of growth strategy is cybersecurity. We have all our eggs in that basket and health sciences. And when COVID hit, we were up for this big kind of a grant from the government that was going to start a cybersecurity center and, you know, we were going to go to glory. But for a couple of reasons, we didn't get that grant. And so I was hoping that was the turning point of like, okay, finally, the leadership here will see you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe, you know, the founding liberal arts are going to be the thing that sustains us in being different that way. And I think for the SBC, there was a chance of that if Mike Stone won, that like, oh, this is actually who we are. We need to have a reckoning. And mm-hmm. so I don't just want to mm-hmm. say there doesn't need to be a reckoning. See, everything's fine. Well, so I do, th- I do think there needs to be kind of a, how did, th- how are we this? How mm-hmm. are the Rod Martins who lead the exec- who are on the executive committee? How is he able to say the things he says with no repercussions? How have these mm-hmm. people been able to get away with this? Let's change it and fix it. 
at the same time that we do, you know, everything that Chase says, where we, we preach the gospel, we love people, and we show a different culture. And, um, and that's mm-hmm. on the local level and allowing, yeah. you know, that time for that local level to, to, to turn the posture of hearts and to uh, invite other people in. Um, yeah, I think that's maybe what I would say. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That both of those answers are really helpful because I, I hear it saying, you know, if you think that's bad, you should meet some of the people in my church, uh, and, and the church on the street and the church in the new Testament. Uh, and you should meet Peter, uh, and that it, 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 it's not as if, uh, we don't have anything to own. Uh, and and let me tell you about my own sin and my own struggle. And, uh, yeah, it's, it might be even worse than you think, uh, in the headlines, uh, because I've experienced this in my own life. Um, but the, you, you can't judge Christ. Uh, by the disobedience of some who profess his name. And so let's look at Christ together. Um, thank you. Man, listen, brothers, uh, you guys have been so helpful. Uh, you've been encouraging to me. Uh, you guys are dear brothers uh, to me personally, good friends to Michael and I, your, your friends to our church. And I'm thankful that you are our friends uh, in, in a way uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention and that you are uh, brothers in Christ with us who care about the gospel going out. Uh, in, in your neighborhood, to your uh, your own family, and, and to the to the nations. So I, I praise God for that. Uh, I'm going to steal this last question, which Michael actually was going to ask, but I'm going to ask it for sake of time here. And, and this one is for Alex. Um, Alex, what do you do when you go to, I don't know if there's an Anglican convention, how do you handle the fact that there is no swag game in the world like the North American Mission Board? There's no swag. I mean, I got a hammock, a hammock, and a, a camping pillow, and like four bags from the North American Mission Board. What do you, What do you guys have? We have some pens, maybe some erasers. Um, I got a little uh, notebook binder. Yeah. But yeah, it's not the same. It's not. It's the just same. not the same. I don't know. And your attendees are infants, all the way up to adults. <laughs> you know. True. That's you don't true. have much. I mean, you got to spread it all around. So, that's true. you know, that's you got to start cheapening the swag. Uh, that's, we, a we great, that's a great way to go out, man. To, to love Jesus with us. That's true. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> man, I, I love you guys so much. We're so thankful for yeah. your friendship. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, the other thing I was going to say, we just made it through a whole podcast from the Southern Baptist Convention. We didn't talk about nationalism and we didn't mention Donald Trump. Ooh, How did we do a, it? That's a big one. That's another episode for another day, maybe. That's true. That's true. Love you guys. We're thankful. See you soon. Love you too. Love you guys. See you.